Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello, and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today, we have Alex, who is an integrative and functional registered dietitian and the owner of Olox Nutrition, a virtual nutrition coaching company that specializes in mind, body health, and using food as medicine. Her personal experience with mental health made her realize just how essential food and lifestyle are in managing symptoms and increasing overall health and quality of life. Welcome, Alex. We're so excited to have you. I am so excited to be here, Lauren. Thank you. Yay. So you have a really unique story and I would love to hear just what is your story? What did you struggle with leading up to, I'm sure you'll share your diagnosis and how does, how is, how have you come here? Well, I struggled with everything. Um, through my twenties, it was just a big struggle to be a person. Um, and that was part nature, part nurture, right? So what got me into, you know, integrative and functional and mental health was actually um, my own diagnosis, which I finally wrangled out of my therapist in my early 30s. Um, So there were a lot of indications in my late 20s that something was up with my mental health. Um, I didn't respond the way people normally respond. I could tell on people's faces like that the intensity of how I acted um, this was after I left Staten Island because Staten Island intensity is a little bit more. <laughs> <There's Come on>. <laughs> little, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but when I was off of Staten Island in AmeriCorps, um, I started realizing like, oh, people are having reactions to me. Like I like I'm reacting differently than other people are doing. Um, so it just became a very big learning experience in my 20s, especially um, the biggest one was the toxic relationship I was in. I was very, very into diagnosing him. Um, and I remember reading, I think I was reading Bipolar for Dummies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the industry standard on diagnosis. And I was like, oh, it <laughs> sounds like me. This this might be me. So um, after one particularly problematic uh, spiral. I went to a therapist. I told him what I thought. He's like, let's hold off on diagnosis. Let's see how you're doing. Let's just like chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most he gave me the first couple of years was you, you have a lot of similar traits to bipolar two. And then finally, in my early 30s, I was like, is this my diagnosis? Because I'm about to start talking about it. And I need to know so that I'm giving people accurate information. (laughs) Um, And he confirmed. And that was very relieving. I don't know how other people feel when they get a diagnosis. For me, it was confirmation that like, yeah, there's a reason you feel this way. Um, But more than that, there was no way like a path forward for me. I had already done some things, but there was something I could look up, something I could dive into. And that was very relieving 
um, for me at that time in my life. Cause I was, I had just become a dietitian or I had been a dietitian for like maybe a year. Um, so I used what I knew, what I knew and where I could go find information to see how I could start changing the way I felt because my symptoms manifested in very extreme ways maybe not extreme as extreme as some but like they were definitely altering the quality of my life they were ruining you know I was ruining relationships or choosing the wrong relationships um and because you know there was a lot of emotional eating there were a lot of up and downs with how I felt about myself so it was a very uh it was just a very not corrosive but the whole not knowing what was happening and not having it under control was very upending. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a better word. Yeah. Um, it was just very problematic mm-hmm. for a very long time. And that's why I think it was such a relief to have a diagnosis. It's like, oh, no, this isn't just, there's something there. It's not just, you're not this person. It's there's something that needs some help. It's validating, right? Because you're sitting mm-hmm. there being like, okay, I just feel like I'm a psychopath. And yeah, basically, like, there's no explanation or, or this is just how it is, right? I had a similar experience when I like experienced my first panic attack. I was at a Taylor Swift concert and I just felt like out of body. Yeah. And I would go to a therapist and they, they like, obviously there's a spectrum of the yeah. type of therapist and you know the the expertise they provide but she didn't have an explanation for me she didn't even tell me that was a panic attack it was my dad that told me that because he had experienced the same thing and I'm just like you know going to that therapist is really invalidating for someone to just be like huh that's interesting you felt that way and how much sure. more validating is it when somebody is like oh that's probably a panic attack so let's you know right. create a plan of action from there so when you said that the way that you're reacting what can you give an example of that like what did that look like I think I just so even now still a little bit like I have things more under control but um I have I feel things very viscerally um or I did feel things very viscerally when I was much more disordered um so things that would be, you know, people could just like easily move on with their day. Like even just a fluctuation in schedule. Like I expected to go to this one, like I expected that we were doing this one thing, like say in AmeriCorps, we were going to be on this job. I was going to be with this team. I knew what was happening. If that altered, the response was visceral and over the top, sobbing, couldn't cope with it, like really didn't have a handle like no resilience there, yeah. right? Just just sheer feeling. Yeah. Um, it's unfair. Why would this happen to me? Um, you know, there there was a certain amount of emotional immaturity, but like that that feeling, like this is I'm gonna lower this, like this, like this, this mm-hmm. I this is the only way, this is how I've been describing it for years. Like this feeling yeah. just like in me. And like if I didn't express the feeling in some way whether it was crying, yelling, or being self-destructive, right? Drinking or seeking, I don't know, the love of a problematic man. (laughs) 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 Then I had no outlet and that, that, that intensity, I couldn't hold it. Right. So it had to come out and be expressed in some way. Mm. Um, 
So what I've learned is that, that is, you know, what I learned was that intensity was not what other people experienced. They did not see the world or feel the world in that way. Um, so is and- that a component of bipolar that you have trouble regulating emotion? Yes. Okay. Um, yes, that is definitely. So I don't now. Um, I have been in mostly remission for seven years. Um, I say mostly because I did have really bad gut issues, which we'll talk about the relationship for the last couple of years. And there were some moments and, but nothing nearly like it was in my twenties. That was where I was at my most dysregulated and that high emotional response was very telling Mm -hmm. uh, as to what things might like be going on for me. Yeah. So it's all so interesting. And I mean, seven years and basically remission is incredible, but you talk about this health, mental health dysfunction versus mental illness. Can you explain that? And then also give us like a tangible example of how that manifests with your history. So, I mean, technically I'm mentally ill right now, right? Just walking around with my diagnosis, I am a mentally ill person. I have a mental illness, but I am not presenting with symptoms. I am not having any type of flare-ups, you know, even if I'm a little bit depressed, is that more or less than any other normal person might feel in a certain situation? So I feel like mental illness, while it can be helpful in sort of clustering symptoms and helping us understand with a name, right, or a diagnosis what something is, it doesn't give us much more information than that. Because right now I'm not mentally ill. Right now I'm a pretty sound mind, pretty being (laughs) being the operative word. Um, But mental health dysfunction kind of encapsulates a moment where you're not regulating um, and you're not able to really tamp down whatever it is or be in a place of emotional stability or you're experiencing anxiety or depression you're experiencing the symptoms of mental illness right and i think that mental health dysfunction it sounds kind of scary right because then it sounds like there's something really wrong but it actually is pulling into me this idea that there are physiological and physical like actual physical factors in your body that are um that are actually shifting you into this type of dysfunction but that's a really great thing because we can do stuff about it right like it's not just oh you're mentally ill and that's just who you are for life um it's no you've got this dysfunction going on but if we do this this and this we can actually reduce the severity of your symptoms we can make your anxiety feel less palpable so you can get through a day and you're not sweating and you don't have heart palpitations. Your mind's not racing. We can make it so, you know, your depression isn't as severe. So you want to go see your friends and you don't want to just sit at home and like your body doesn't feel physically heavy and you don't just get irritable at, I don't know, say like your kids screaming at you or because they're kids and they're terrible. (laughs) <laughs> they're going to make you upset. <laughs> um, or just like normal everyday things, they really fire you up. And it's this idea that there are reasons behind that. It's not just because you have a genetic predisposition to be depressed. You might, that doesn't mean 
that you have to present with those symptoms most of the time. Right. Okay. So mental illness is kind of almost like the umbrella of like, I've, I've been diagnosed with this thing. Mental health dysfunction is more so this, like, what kind of state of the illness almost are you in right now? Are you functioning, you know, in your life or are you like those symptoms really flaring up? So interesting because I think that's validating within itself too, right? Where it's like, there is other things that you can do, which I actually kind of want to talk about too. I know you're not, um, against medication by any means like support medication, but where in your journey has medication taken a place or has it been mostly the healing your gut, um, and like the practices that you do with clients that have been a a change for you or is it a combination? So for me, medication was always an indication that something was wrong. It's actually one of the things that helped us get to a diagnosis because I had been on several SSRIs throughout my twenties. Um, I think, you know, Paxil, I was on Prozac, Lexapro, Zoloft, maybe another one. And then I was on a non-SSRI. I was on Wellbutrin and I almost had, I almost had a psychotic break on that, but, um, they would always cause some sort of mania, whether it was hypo or just full-blown mania, um, the medications would always spark something like that, except for Zoloft, which kind of just made me flat. Um, Mm. But one of the hallmarks of bipolar is that, you know, taking an antidepressant without a mood stabilizer will actually send you into some sort of manic episode. And they did for me. And I don't think I understood that they were causing manic episodes in my early 20s because it wasn't so different than some sort of hypomania episode that I would have. And then as I got older and I started getting a handle on things and I wasn't really having hypomanic um, episodes, it became more obvious that the medication would cause it. So then it became very clear, like, okay, we can't do that. If we're going to do medication, it has to be done differently. And I had never done, I've never done a mood stabilizer. It's not completely off the table. It depends like where life takes me. Mm -hmm. Um, But my experience with medication had been largely problematic, but that was because I had never been properly diagnosed. Mm, That's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. So can you explain the hypomania is basically the opposite of manic, of mania, right? Or no? So it's not, uh, it's like a, it's like kind of a watered down version of mania. Mm. So with hypomania, there is problematic behavior. Um, you maybe do spend too money or you are a little bit more reckless with your behavior. For me, again, like that, it's that thing that I like, mm. like I want to feel, I want to feel like I remember on my third day of Lexapro, mm. <laughs> it was very quick. It might not have been my third day. It might be misremembering, yeah. but it was very quickly after I had started Lexapro years and years ago. I was in my car and I don't know what happened. I like put my, my, like my pedal to the floor. Like I wanted to go fast. The first thought was like, I, I want to get a pack of cigarettes. I want to get on a plane. Like I want to go to another country. Like I wanted to do something big, you know, like, um, and then like five seconds later, I was like, oh, 
you know, because I was older at that time. I was like, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't how I normally feel. Um, but, you know, so, but with mania, like full, full mania, a lot of the times you see behavior, like people can stay up for days at a time without needing any sleep. They have overwhelming senses of euphoria and, um, you know, they, some people will blow their life savings, you know, they'll go shopping, they'll be very, um, they'll get themselves into dangerous sexual situations. And it's not to say that, like, I hadn't been in some watered down version of all of those, but that is just that, right? They were, it was smaller versions of it. Um, and honestly, sometimes when you're dealing with bipolar two and you're depressed all the time, the hypomania is a little bit welcomed, right? Mm -hmm. Because you do have energy. All of a sudden your brain's lighting up. Um, it's almost like, oh, okay. So I'm not sad and tired right now. So this must be a good thing. Right. Wow. You've been through it. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just my experience, right? This is just mine. And it presents differently for different people. Totally. Totally. So And it's interesting too, like the generalizations that people make about mental health. Like I remember I'm on Zoloft and I remember when my mom, like she really wanted me to go to therapy because I was, you know, still in high school when I first experienced anxiety and she was very against, you know, medication because she had heard so many things of like, you're not going to have a personality. It's going to make you flat. Right. So it's so interesting that you say it made you flat, but that was because it was not the right diagnosis. Right. So, so all this happens, you've tried all the medication, which is fucking exhausting, right? Like trying to find the right thing and nothing like you have this like excitement of, Oh, we have a diagnosis. Uh, what leads you to realizing that there is an impact of your gut with mental health and and where did you start with all of that? Honestly, the gut was kind of later. Um, I don't even know. I don't remember, uh, what the moment was that I started looking at actual research studies. Um, but it was all there, right? Like, okay. So, you know, different nutrients, nutrients have really been the big thing for me. Uh, gut health, like I said, was a secondary discovery. And then all of this stuff about the gut started becoming very prominent. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Right. Um, but for me, the beginning was getting on some solid, uh, B vitamins, getting on a solid omega three that had a functional dose of EPA for mood regulation. Um, magnesium was a huge deal for me as well. So those three are actually pretty foundational. I feel like for most people, um, who are dealing with anxiety, depression, brain fog, or having some sort of I guess mental health dysfunction, but just sort of lower functioning and their ability to like basically be inside their brain and body comfortably in the way that they want to be. Um, you know, and there's arguments like, do you really need supplements? You can get everything from your diet. It's just, well, most people don't, you know, and you can say that like, you should be able to, and that's fine. But then we do have these research studies where if you do supplement with certain doses, of specific vitamins or minerals or, you know, food components, you actually see a reduction in depression. You see a reduction in anxiety. You see better sleep, better quality of life. So 
you know, I guess for that, <laughs> that person out there who is doing great, eating perfectly, living a Zen and like super, I don't know even what that life would look like, but for the rest of us, <laughs> the majority of people, <laughs> for the rest of us, yeah. you know, there are these solutions that I don't think, you know, are so conventionally maybe known yet to be as beneficial as they are. Right. And then you can argue too, like, well, why not just if the supplement is benefiting you and can help you, why wouldn't you just take that rather than obsessing over, oh no, what's nutrient in every single food that I have, right? That I eat. Am I getting yeah. my nutrients? Because that was something that honestly my orthorexia stemmed from was trying to fix my anxiety through nutrition. And mm -hmm. I had no actual understanding. I was just like, oh, this is causing anxiety and this is causing anxiety and I have to cut it all out. Um, when in reality, it actually made my anxiety worse because I was so obsessive about having like the quote unquote perfect diet, right? So uh, I feel like supplements can just really be kind of like a safety net and almost like a relief. It's like, yeah, I want to, you know, eat my vegetables and I want to eat these foods that make me feel good and whatnot, but I don't have to be like tracking every nutrient I'm eating. Right. And that's insane. Right. Who yeah. could even who fucking live like that? Like, <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's with supplements, they are just that, right. They're just a supplement, but what if they help create that foundation where, okay, now you can make different decisions about food because your anxiety is a little bit less or you're thinking a little bit more clearly. So maybe now, now that you have gotten some clarity and your head is a little bit above water, now you can start thinking about dietary inter interventions if that was too overwhelming at that, you know, beforehand. So I think that they're very useful. Obviously they are there just to supplement the diet. They're not like this I don't know, you know, they're not this cure all, but there was a, there's very stark differences because throughout the years when I couldn't afford vitamins, there were times when I would go off of them. And I remember my therapist was like, Hey, I don't know if you noticed this, but every time you don't have those things regularly, your symptoms start to flare in a big way. I was like, all right, <laughs> that makes sense. So where, like, as a dietitian, you know, you said those were kind of like typical recommendations in terms of supplements. Yeah. Um, what testing do you do with your clients? How do you determine what they should be supplementing with and what might benefit them in terms of their specific symptoms? So honestly, I recommend those three supplements for most people who have anxiety or depression or her feeling. Honestly, like most people benefit from it. Um, from those, but B vitamins, magnesium, we'll say a high potency multivitamin, okay. uh, with a B complex in it, um, magnesium glycinate or citrate. If you're constipated, both of them are pretty well absorbed. Um, there's also a third one, magnesium three and eight, but <laughs> message me on Instagram. If you want to talk magnesium <laughs> <laughs> and then a uh, high quality fish oil with okay a functional dose of EPA and DHA. So those, most of my clients, I recommend them. Um, but then I do do GI map testing to take a look at the gut landscape. And I also order like a laundry list or requests from their physicians to order a laundry list of blood work 
So I can see where they're at with um, not just like regular metabolic markers that, you know, we would do clinically anyway, um, but nutrient panels, testing their B12, testing their methylmalonic acid, um, even uh, folate, B6, zinc, copper, um, you know, looking at markers of inflammation, making sure we get full thyroid panels, making sure we get full iron panels with ferritin, especially for women who are having gut issues um, and who still have their period. So there's, there's actually a lot that we look at or that I look at that functional and integrative people look at to determine how we can best supplement you, how we can best really change your diet around to make you start feeling optimal, right? Like that's the goal. It's not just, okay. It's not just getting by. We want you to feel fucking great. Like every day. And that sounds stupid, right? Who's feeling great every day, but like you could feel pretty good most days, most of the time. And I think that we've lost that as a society a little bit as a goal. There's almost this love affair with the grind with, you know, identifying as overworked and burnt out and anxious. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you're not those things, you're doing it wrong somehow. Right. Right. Which I mean, you know how I am in business. I'm like, <laughs> I want to do as little as possible with it being most effective as possible. Right. Because I mean, we're not here to just like work and hustle our whole lives. Our life yeah. is to enjoy. So, uh, I love the approach that you take. And I know that it, it can, again, with that validation of like somebody that might feel like they're at their, like they've tried everything and they just don't even realize that nutrition and the supplementation and the gut, t- I mean, things that unfortunately Western medicine doesn't look into, right? Yeah. And no, because there's no, like, where is the benefit to industry? Mm-hmm. You know, where is the benefit of in- to industry to have people healing themselves through food and lifestyle? Who does that benefit financially? Right. Nobody. That's why we're not preventative. We're <laughs> right. I, I bring that up because you said, you know, it's, it's optimal. It's like in Western medicine, it's you're sick or you're not sick. Right. And there's no in between. So if you're like, you're not feeling totally horrible, but like, you're not feeling optimal. They're like, oh, well, you're not sick. Right. Right. You're fine. In something like functional medicine, it's like, oh, you're having brain fog. Well, let's, let's look into that. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, I mean, it was slightly, you know, a bit of a hypochondriac because I was just always anxious, but <laughs> I'd be like, you know, this feels weird or this feels weird. And they're like, oh, you're anxious. You're anxious, which, you know, I was, but not <laughs> they're not wrong. Not every patient, like patients actually have, you know, ailments that are just so easily dismissed. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, like my mom had high cholesterol. I'm like, did he refer you to a dietitian? She's like, no, he told me to lose weight. I'm like, mm, classic. Okay. Well, why didn't like, why aren't they referring to dietitians? You know, like yeah. do this. Right. So let's get into the gut aspect of things. Okay. What does, honestly, all I know is <laughs> vagus nerve and how that connects from your brain to your gut. I think. Right? Yes what is going on here? I feel like this is a new, a newer body of research. Um, to what extent are they connected? How are they affecting each other? So, you know, it's, they call it a bi-directional communication, right? It's communication highway between our brains and our guts. Um, so basically it's, it's nerves and they're sending signals up and down. Um, so 
the one of the easiest ways to understand it is if you've ever been nervous, right? You have this reaction in your belly, like you'll get butterflies, you get flustered, you maybe sweat or get diarrhea. That's what I did. That's what I did at my swim meets. I got diarrhea. <laughs> Super cool swimming for your life to just get out of the pool and run in your wet bathing suit oh. as a preteen to the locker room. Um, Talk about dramatic really like everything everything about my life up until the point where I was like getting regulated was just everything was dramatic and ridiculous um so what we have well theoretically what we're thinking is happening is that actually a lot more signals are coming from the gut up to the brain as opposed to the brain to the gut and not just um not just from the gut but your whole body right sending signals to the brain and telling the brain what's going on, how we're feeling, like, what should you, you know, what are we upregulating? What are we downregulating? So there are different bacterial strains that we know are correlated, right? We don't have causation, but correlated with different disease states. Um, lower diversity is correlated with higher rates of inflammation, higher rates of chronic disease, higher rates of mental illness, depression, and anxiety. Um, we lower also diversity, meaning the different types of bacteria in your gut. Uh-huh. So having lower, uh, lower diversity in terms of type, but also lower good bacteria and higher bad bacteria. So like this dysbiosis, you may have heard that to- mm-hmm. uh, term where we're seeing that you don't have a lot of these really good bacteria to do, I guess, the heavy lifting, but you do start seeing this increase in pathogenic bacteria. Um, and then, you know, this is largely termed IBS, right? That's that big umbrella, mm-hmm. big umbrella syndrome for any type of gut dysfunction or, you know, gut irritation or gut symptoms that can't really be explained by our clinical testing as of right now. Um, So one of the things that I had for recurring for years was SIBO Mm -hmm. and that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I remember it clear as day, a couple months before I got diagnosed, somebody very, um, not righteously, but when you know condescendingly asked me, you know, do you know what SIBO is? And I'm like, no, what is it? And she tells me, and I'm like, okay, like, fine. A couple months later, I start presenting with the symptoms, like, shit, I have SIBO. <laughs> God damn it. Um, and this is still relatively new. And what I did not know was how difficult it was once you cross a certain threshold with your gut to get back to healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not just, oh, let's eat healthy and see where it goes. Like, no, these are actual interventions. And I was learning integrative and functional nutrition while this was happening. So I was learning about everything alongside experiencing all of these symptoms and this diagnosis. Um, And there was an uptick in symptoms for my bipolar because I wasn't feeling good. And IBS about you know, theorize sometimes up to 85% of people with IBS will experience more anxiety and depression. So if you're already predisposed and now you start getting um, or you start uh, experiencing these gut symptoms, 
now all of a sudden you've got this, this feedback loop, mm-hmm. right? Of not feeling good. So your brain doesn't feel good sending signals to your gut. Your gut's not feeling good sending signals to your brain. And it's almost like you can't get off that wheel and you got to figure out how to disrupt it and fix things. Right. And what are the SIBO typical symptoms? There's actually uh, three separate types of SIBO. So there is hydrogen dominant, methane dominant, hydrogen sulfide dominant. So methane dominant um, or in there's uh, methane dominant SIBO and intestinal methanogen overgrowth. And that's typically constipation, bloating, and lots of gas. That was me. I was like a cow. And then, <laughs> and then hydrogen dominant tends to, you know, be associated with bloating and diarrhea. And then hydrogen sulfide is um, really cool. I have that too. That's diarrhea and like a really obnoxious rotten egg smell, a sulfuric smell to your gas. Um, so, but again, before we had the word SIBO, this was all just IBS. Mm, right. Um, and again, SIBO is not even a primary diagnosis. It's a symptom of something. Right. So fascinating. So basically we're seeing that depending on the variety of the different nutrients in your gut, the balance of the nutrients in your gut can impact poorly or beneficially your mental health. Sure. Also the health of your overall gut, like your gut lining, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They call it leaky gut, gut hyperpermeability, whatever it is, uh, not whatever it is, whatever you (laughs) want to call it. Um, You know, it's this, it's this syndrome where, you know, things are escaping your gut and causing an inflammatory response in your body. And that inflammation doesn't just stay, like it goes to your brain. And when your brain is more inflamed, they're even calling it leaky gut. You have a higher presentation of depression, anxiety, symptoms of whatever your diagnosis is. So interesting. That's crazy. So obviously the gold standard is to come see you. (laughs) Right. But if somebody... Like, where would you, before they see you, is there anything that you would recommend that they start? Or is it like, no, you should really just get the testing done, get everything personalized. Is there any nutrients that it's like, oh, well, yeah, let's try and improve, you know, let's eat more Brussels sprouts or anything like that. Um, I think that the gold standard is get help if it's persistent, right? right? If this is something that you've had a hard time getting a handle on, because that was, you know, for the longest time, I didn't get help. That was probably the biggest issue. It wasn't just one aspect, right? It wasn't just the vitamins. It wasn't just changing my whole diet. It wasn't just maybe medication or therapy. It was everything. It was, it was all of those things combined. So I feel like whether it's me or whether it's even therapy, right? Whatever the first step has to be, don't assume that you should be doing it alone because we are, we need people and uh, being alone and isolated while feeling terrible almost makes everything worse. Um, So number one, get help. Number two, get on some supplements. Number three, three, call me. (laughs) Because you really can't, you can't 
do a certain, can't be like, oh, let's improve, let's take, you know, eat more of this food when it's like, well, we don't even know where, what's the root of the symptom in the first place. There are some things you can try with food mm-hmm. for uh-huh. sure. Uh, for me, uh, going gluten-free was really important. doesn't mean it will be for everybody. You yeah. know, there, there are some people who swear by the fact that nobody can tolerate gluten. Mm-hmm. Evidence isn't great for it. Um, but honestly, if you wanted to get crazy, mm-hmm. up your vegetables and your fruit to 10 yeah. servings a day. Like, keep it simple. Just like yeah. start including things that are incredibly good for your body. Right. And honestly, if you have gut symptoms while you're incorporating more of these things, that's an indication like, okay, something something is up. I need to do a little bit more digging, right. you know? Right. Um, but I think that including more good stuff mm-hmm. and especially not with like, especially if these things are triggering, not without the help of a professional, would I start just eliminating Right. You should never do an elimination diet without a provider or without somebody who knows how to guide you through it because those are very, very temporary and you need to be, you know, um, what's a uh, not precise. You need to be supervised, but you know, there's, it, it does need to be supervised um, right. because elimination diets can be helpful. They can be very harmful though too. Yeah. When, because there's so many factors it can be challenging within itself and then also but technically the elimination diet for specific symptoms you know by dietitian standards it's what i would say the gold standard in terms of food sensitivities and whatnot because our food sensitivity tests are so you know unreliable unreliable and crazy and all the things so all that elimination they can be they can be great right elimination diets can be great it's just again if you're not doing it with a plan, without right. supervision, without like real know-how, it's not going to wind up being what you want it to be. Right. It's like if you struggle with IBS and you just try low FODMAP and then you never add certain foods back in, that you t- like you're going to end up driving yourself crazy too. So, um, you know, food can be an incredible solution with the right um, guidance and expert, but it can also, like you said, be harmful if it's not done right. Um, so let's make people do it right and come see you. <laughs> so Alex, where can people find you? What kind of programs do you run? Uh, we basically know who you help, but tell us all the things. Well, you can check out my Instagram at Olaf nutrition. I also have, I also have a website, olafsnutrition.com. Um, and I do offer a very comprehensive four month program. And that's like my favorite because then I'm with you that whole time and we're changing everything, right? And we're breaking down the things in your diet and your life that are contributing to all of this negative emotion that you're feeling. And we pull it out and we start rebuilding. Um, we add in all of the good foods, we get you on the appropriate supplements. We do gut testing to see how we can start fortifying and healing your gut. And then we really push forward with the coaching as a way of now integrating your lifestyle, right? Because it's like I said, it's not just food. It could never just, it would never ever just be food. It's where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your energy? Um, Who's making you mad every day? Who's who's making you feel good? Um, Mm -hmm. Are you satisfied? And like, 
So it really becomes a very all-encompassing coaching program. So it's life and nutrition coaching. Amazing. Well, everybody reach out to Alex. She is amazing. Even if you just have questions about the types of magnesium that you want to know more about, send her a DM. And thank you guys for being here. And thank you so much, Alex. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at Food Therapy Pod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.